recording as of now. Hello everyone and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 278, Tripod, recorded March 26th, 2017 and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet where geeks rant. That's right. Doesn't happen anywhere else on the internet. Only right here. Nowhere else are there geeks that rant. It's not a geeky thing to do, except here. And someday, if I say that enough, the, bl- the lie will become truth. Uh, I am your host, Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson and Miles the Aussie Engineer. Wake him. Hi, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome, Faithful Element Opiites. I'm glad you could come along. Huzzah! And happy spring in Geekland. Yes, this is our first podcast of spring. Well, actually, I think last week was, wasn't it? Wasn't that the first day of spring? No, it happened, like, Monday. The, the, yeah, the 21st, yeah. sometime, like, tw- almost the 22nd. Yeah. So but, the podcast came out after spring, but we, right. we didn't record it. Every yeah, I pod- noticed... No, no flower would bloom until we recorded that show. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So uh, this, this, uh, I talked about this, I think, maybe, I don't remember, um, but this show, Tripod, uh, I, I'm calling it that because uh, that's what NPR and a few other uh, large networks of podcasts are calling it. They've decided that March would be uh, sort of podcast awareness months. You know, we've got Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, uh, Ball Cancer Awareness Month. That's not what they call it. <laughs> um, so this is uh, try uh, a Podcast Awareness Month. And so we thought we would jump in. This is a question we get uh, fairly frequently from listeners. Hey, what podcast do you like to listen to? Uh, so that's what this show is going to be about. The shows we like and why we like them. Uh, hopefully you'll find some new stuff there um, uh, that you can like too. Um, so here we go. Um I'm just going to jump in with a couple of follow-ups to last week first, though. Um, I had I told you last week that I was watching Legion, but I wasn't sure if I liked Legion. That's the uh, the Marvel show on on the FX network uh, about um, a super powerful mutant. Um, episode seven, this week's episode. My two word review is holy crap, um, and that's in a good way. Um, it was one of those moments where all the tumblers clicked into place. And all the things that were confusing for the first six episodes went, oh, that makes sense now. Uh, and not only that, but it was so beautiful. It, I, I'd like to say, uh, go watch that one. I'm sure it's on the FX website uh, if you haven't seen any of the others. But you really have to see all the others to get it. But it is so beautifully done. Um, the the cinematography, they it's so subtle. Uh, when I, I'm not going to give it away, but during certain cues, when certain... Um, elements are in play they literally change the 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 aspect ratio of the film just just subtly just a little bit um and and you know the things that they do with colors and and the things that they do with with audio it is so brilliant and so bizarre it is absolutely bizarro world but but incredibly genius at the same time um i'm all in after episode seven miles did you go any farther than the first couple of episodes no i've been such a slacker I haven't gotten to even to episode two, but I'm, I'm going to. It's on my, it's on my list. I'm going to get there. I don't know if I'll catch up with you as far ahead as you are, but I'll try and binge watch. I'll do my best. 
it's a hard one to binge watch because it's a brain bender and it's difficult. The The subject matter is difficult. Their treatment of it is difficult. Um, it, it's every episode is kind of a gut punch. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could, could binge watch it. Uh, maybe you have a higher tolerance for bizarreness than I do, but it is just, um, it's probably the most well executed just all over in terms of writing and music and video and everything. It's, it's the best culmination of video of, of television filmmaking I've seen in a very long time. Whoa. So are you putting it ahead of daredevil season one? <sighs> well, daredevil is in a different class. Um, but yeah, in terms of structure and uh, from a from the craft of making film, it's it's bad. Wow. Um, Daredevil, I think, is more enjoyable. Right? I didn't go through six episodes of Daredevil trying to decide whether or not I liked it. Um, but the the craft of of creating the art is is better in Legion than in anything I've ever seen. Honestly, wow! Did, High did praise. You, did you see Mister Robot? Uh, first, like four episodes of, of for the first two hour premiere of, of Mr. Robot was brilliant. It started to, to rapidly fall apart from there. And I lost interest after about five or six episodes and never watched anymore. But yeah, the, that first pilot was amazing as well. Uh, Legion is, is even more of, bizarre. Is it like the same cinematography approach? Like they, they do this kind of movie in a TV show thing or something totally different it's it's unique and it's not unlike anything i've ever seen i can't even tell you what it's like um you just you just have to you just have to experience it it's uh and you have to i mean if you're just watching it my wife hates it and to the point that she won't even be in the room when i'm watching it so it's not for everybody uh and the story you know uh in terms of do i care about the characters i'm really not sure yet still seven episodes in i'm not sure i care about any of the characters but just from a film geek perspective it's amazing. Uh, um, so you just got to set your expectations appropriately. Bring forth the new era of television. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the, it's on cable so they can get away with, uh, you know, a little bit more violence and gore and language, but they, they fall into that trope that so many, you know, um, not going for R yet. You know, there's, there's a naked woman in bed, just had sex with somebody and she gets up and she holds the the sheet to her as she's walking across the room, but she's bare on the back, but covering her front. Who actually does that? Has any human ever in the history of time actually done that, or is it just on television? No. <laughs> I mean, you, two people have just had you know um, raging monkey sex, and they're laying in bed, and she makes sure to cover to pull the sheet up over her top. Uh, that has always bothered me about all movies ever. And and the other way around is when when they when they want to go to show the boobs, right? And they come up with some way to to take the the boobs out, but but leave the panties on. Again, it's it's just not you you don't finish that act and then quickly put your panties back on. But you know, film filmmaking and reality don't always go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah, these are the things I noticed, and I'm everybody listening has said what. What are you talking about? But these are the things like, I've noticed I since this, I was thirteen. Yeah, this was like I'm I'm watching it with my my six year old daughter and I are listening to Geek Rant because it's one of the few family friendly podcasts out there. <laughs> that was not explicit, was it? No, it, was well, it wasn't PG. explicit. But you wouldn't want would you want your youngest daughter hearing this kind of talk? Well, she probably hears it with you around. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's you know anyway. Um, there, there, there's sometimes you're, you're still on television 
Right. And, and this is one right. of those things where, uh, they, they've got it, they've pushed it up just as far as they could go, but you know, it's still television. Um, so Seth, I want to, I, I left this last week, uh, because we didn't cover it. I skipped over it and your tagline has me so, um, intrigued. What, what does this mean? Dear internet, you don't know me. Stop pretending. Okay. Every site you go to now attempts to personalize content based on your based on how well they think they know you well i fired up yahoo on a computer i you i only ever do one specific thing on this computer well i had some time to kill and happen to be on it so i went to yahoo's main page and started scrolling the news stories and it was like i was i was in internet nirvana because there was everything on the yahoo page you know there's there's stuff about Kim Kardashian and then there's stuff about Nancy Pelosi and then you know you have uh um Donald Trump and then there's sports stuff and then there's movie geek stuff and then there's book stuff and then there and then there's everything and it's like I love it but on on computers I use all the time they 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 cherry pick which stories I go on and so I miss the full you know it's kind of like the internet archaeology the actual web surfing that nobody does anymore. I still enjoy. And so all of these sites that attempt to, um, you know, give me what I want, they really, they don't because what I want is everything that I can then. Sometimes I just want to see those headlines. And this week I'm in a, uh, you know, a people magazine entertainment weekly type mood. And then this week I'm in a, you know, science mood. And this week I'm a right wing conspiracy nut mood. And so I hate the sites. If there was some button I could go and check that says, leave your website alone. And let me act like I've never been here. I would do that, but there's not, and I I hate websites that do that. So it's, that's why they don't know me. It's and they the classic even pretend. filter bubble problem. Uh, by trying to feed you only what you like, you only ever end up seeing what you like. But uh, you know that's bad in itself, and that you you begin to think that the world is like like what you think it is, and it's a, a self fulfilling prophecy. But also, if you like lots of things, you you can't you can't do that. I uh, I I feel your pain, and and you know. Uh, it's it's hard to block that stuff, right? Because you're talking about sites that insert cookies that track you, so it gets to know who you are and where you go, what you're doing, and point is is that is that what's generating a lot of that sort of thing, Seth? Yeah, you know, and it, it's like um, on on this computer, I really I'm only ever on it like right before showtime, and so you know, I usually this is when I look at my uh, anime. Uh, YouTube videos. And so when I go to YouTube, every recommended thing is about this anime channel and this, you know, and I'm just like, dude, I, j- I want to see everything. And then I yeah. want to pick what mood I'm in. Don't. And then, you know, and it's just, I, I hate that personalization. It's they, they don't, it's the same reason that when I, whenever I get a phone call and it's one of those robot you know, robo callers, please hold for an important message. A lot of times I will hold till a live person picks up and I will say, I do not accept robot phone calls and hang up on them just because I want them to experience, you know, just that in, <laughs> impersonal touch and how much I hate it. So here, just, I just had a brilliant idea. It, when you get one of those, you got to go back in time first. Uh, you go back in time, you get a Teddy Ruxpin. And you put the phone in the hands of the Teddy Ruxpin and you let the robots talk to each other 
and just see what happens. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a story here. Have I ever told you my story of the Annoyatron? No, but I've okay. heard those. Okay, here's the Annoyatron. Like so, many moons ago, when you know, when you used to have regular phone lines coming into your house, and the phone company were charging a ridiculous amount of money. Because I have a couple of different businesses, I was paying a ridiculous amount of money times three, and I just got sick of it. So somebody said, well, why don't you use Asterisk, you know, the free voice yes. over IP phone system, right? So I had a spare computer, and I, you know, gutted it and installed Asterisk on it. And I got really interested in this thing because I could do so many things with tele- uh, telephony that I could never thought possible. Um, so I got all these fancy, you know, phone di- uh, you know phones uh, on my desk and in my wife's office and in the house and everything went asterisk it was like asterisk nuts there for a while well of course what happens is whenever a call comes in asterisk will grab the caller id and it will grab all the details and it logs it in its own little database so we start getting the telemarketers so of course what you do is you build you think, oh, I'm, a, I'm a geek, I don't mind doing this. So I start hacking asterisk, and the next thing you know, I've written this software that will take the incoming caller ID and where it came from and the time of call and whatever, and it logs it to a database. And then I built this web server application in my house. So any time that a call came in, um, you could see it on a list on this web, web thing I built, and you click on the call and you go, that one goes into the Annoyatron. And so that, that's kind of how we all got hab- habitual with phones. When you get a telemarketer, you commit them to the Annoyatron. Well, what is the Annoyatron, you may ask? All right. So some what is dude- the Annoyatron? Oh, there you so- go. Okay. <laughs> so some dude with a very sick and twisted and comical mind, who I must admit I really admire, wrote this thing that said, well, if you've got asterisk and you know that there's a call coming in that you want to kind of mess with, so what you do is you record all of these audio snippets and the whole idea was to keep the call on the phone as long as possible that destroys the business model of these call centers, right? You can keep them on there for 10 minutes. They're not calling anybody else and wasting their time. So what he did was he wrote this thing that it listened for the audio of the incoming uh, track and it looked for uh, gaps, and what would that would mean is that somebody would call in and say something like, hello, is Seth there? And then there's a gap, right? And when he right. s- detected a two or three second gap, he'd insert his pre-recorded audio into the conversation. And the, <laughs> what he did was he created this conversation that, that began with the first phrase, do I know you? Didn't I go to school with you at so-and-so? And that's where the first response is. And so the telemarketer is taken aback and goes, well, no, blah, blah, blah. And then it looks for the other gap. And then the immediate response is, you know, I'm absolutely sure I went to school with you back in blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it uses this pre-recorded set of audio snippets and gaps to keep the caller on this fictitious conversation going nowhere that wastes their time and never gets to anything. And then periodically it'd be like, you'll you'll get this audio or say something like, hold on a second, my front door's ringing. If you could just hold there for a minute, I'll be right back. 
And of course, nothing happens as, you know, you're trying to keep him out for like 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And then the next thing, you know, he comes back and he goes, look, I'm sorry to keep you waiting, but oh no, there it is again. Hold on a sec. I'll be right back. And then it goes and it goes and it goes. <laughs> next thing you know, the guy's been on the call for 10 minutes. He's hung up and given up. That is the Annoyatron. I like it. It's absolutely brilliant. And so, yes, I built the Annoyatron. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> you know, and, I, and, and in some ways, that's that's unfair because those guys are just hourly we wage people paid to do their job. But oh, they're, uh, they're still know. getting paid by the hour. Well, I I'm guess just that's a stringing good them on. Well, you know? no, not necessarily. I mean, some to, some of those people get paid by the call and by the quality of the call. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I I I can neither uh, support nor uh, uh, decry such technology. But uh, it sounds super cool. I have come up with what I'm going to do now is whenever somebody calls me, I'm going to start saying, I record this call for legal purposes. And by continuing this call, you agree to reimburse me $4 per minute starting now. And just to see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I I wanted to follow up moving on from that on a a little bit. I I mentioned last year. So I've had a weekend now with the Google Wi-Fi. And I've discovered a couple of things. One, it works really well if, two, you give it control of your life. Um, uh, the, I, I experimented, experimented with all number of, of permutations and, and, and got mixed results until I made it, um, you know, node number one on my network. So uh, I've got my, my cable box coming out of the wall or cable line coming out of the wall into my um, a cable modem that I own. I come out of my cable modem that I own into my Buffalo uh, router uh, just because I like the the traffic shaping and and uh, I've got it in bridge mode so I've got a pull, full public IP and and Google Wi-Fi doesn't really like bridge mode um, so uh, I have that uh, uh, there and then the Google Wi-Fi is the only device connected to my Buffalo router and everything else goes through the Google Wi-Fi and that's how it was designed that's that's how it, it you know it, it wants to run your life and if you let it run your life. Um, it runs it really well. Uh, so it's good for, you know, it's good for grandma. It's good for, you know, the average uh, guy who doesn't care about the, the, the tweaking and the speeds and feeds and just wants great, uh, access. But for the geek who wants to control every part of his life, um, you, you're going to be frustrated with it. I, just before the show started, I was trying to get my Plex server, uh, publicly available cause it's, I'm essentially double natted now. So I've got, um, Public IP address on one side of the Buffalo router, private IP address on the other side of the Buffalo router, second uh, uh, private IP address on the one side of the the Google uh, Wi-Fi, third private IP address on the back side of the Google Wi-Fi. So it's a double NAT thing and and services that require direct access to uh, devices, you know. Don't like that very much. So I can probably do some tweaking. I think there's some port forwarding, some stuff I can do. I'm not really sure. But um, in terms of just, you know, I, I'm, I've never gotten full access to, I pay for the, the 100 meg tier of, of cable, uh, and I've never gotten access to that ever before. But running through the Google Wi-Fi, I'm just, I'm screaming all the time. It's, it's a wonderful thing if you're willing to give up control. So how many nodes do you have in the house? Or how, how, it's like multiple nodes that create their own little mesh network, right? right? I, have a, I have a three pack. So there's okay. one on each floor of the house, one in the basement, one on the main floor, and one on the upstairs. Uh, and they are all connected by a gigabit Ethernet backhaul. Uh, they're, they're, it's, the system is designed 
to work uh, Wi-Fi mesh. And in fact, the the box says the try to keep them no more than thirty feet apart. Well, if you had enough, you know, thirty feet is is a small house anyway, right? So you'd need five or six or eight of them for to cover a house as big as mine. Uh, but what I've discovered is if you plug in, if you give them Ethernet, they'll use it. Uh, so they're essentially uh, outside of range of each other, but communicating with each other via the Ethernet. But by design, uh, by default, they're designed to speak to each other over Wi-Fi, so they have to be within good, strong Wi-Fi range of each other as well. Okay. And and as you traverse across the property, you go up and down the, the floors and so on, your devices that were connected to a single SSID will just automatically maintain the same MAC address and the same connection. Yes. So it's kind of like driving around with cell phone towers. Yes. You go in, okay. So the uh, the device is unaware that it is changing, but if you like, if you pull up uh, the settings on your laptop, you can see that the access point you're connecting to, you can see the wife the the IP address change of that. So it is not uh, blind to the change, but it uh, uh, in terms of you know the meter, the water, the the signal strength meter, you're just getting weaker than getting stronger. Um, and you don't, you don't lose a packet or at least in my experience, uh, you know, I, I've, uh, of course the internet is, is sort of built to, to work around buffering. So you don't always notice any kind of change, but yeah, I've never had even a blip in, in anything moving from one place to another. It, and the, where I've got mine, uh, spaced out and because I have the, the luxury of a, of a gigabit LAN, um, I've got them. Uh, space where I've got coverage out in the front yard, all the way over to the the, the neighbor across the street's uh, front yard, uh, all the way out in the backyard, uh, and 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 really probably either of my neighbors could pick up on it on either side if they wanted to. So uh, good strong coverage because each of the Wi-Fi the radios is pretty strong, and I've got them separated out a good distance with the with the cable. But I never got that kind of performance until I let them have a direct connection. Wow, this is the future. These mesh networks, they're crazy cool yeah and so you're experimenting with a little uh mesh networking yourself yeah um bluetooth in my case um so i you know past shows i've been going on about getting a watch well i did finally get my samsung gear s3 um even though i know some of the callers were telling me not to do it i decided in the end to do it and i've got to say i mean it's now been about two or three weeks that i've had it Uh, i absolutely love it I must say it's been an improvement over the Fitbit I had in terms of a health tracker. It's been a, a, a much more wearable and, and it looks better. And for the most part, the, the biggest benefit I was looking for was a way that if I get, I need to get notified of things like adverse events on our data centers, like for an outage or something, and carrying around a phone and being tethered and strapped to a phone every minute of every day of my life is just gets very tiresome and there are times i just don't want to have the phone nearby i want to watch some tv and not have to have a phone nearby so the watch takes care of that because it can get messaged um the problem is it's not a problem it's uh, the nature of the way our technology is advancing um these devices have battery life right i mean if we all if you have a fitbit or you have a smartwatch, you're you've got a certain number of hours of the day that that thing is going to work 
and then it runs out of battery and you've got to charge it. And we would hope that that's more than a day because then you can just sort of put it on the charger in the morning and take it off and wear it and put it back on the charger at night and, and so on. So um, what was happening for me was I was only getting about six hours a day of battery life out of this watch. And I'm thinking, that's something wrong here. I go on the internet, everyone tells me you should get a couple of days. No, I'm only getting five, five six hours. And it was driving me nuts, and I literally took the watch back, got another one, thinking it was faulty. Got that home 72 hours afterwards, same problem. Eventually worked out what it was. Um, my watch has uh, LTE on it, and I had – there are only um, two providers at the moment that can service this. There's AT&T or T-Mobile. And although I've had my issues with T-Mobile in the past, I was willing to give them a chance with the watch – so I went in and I paid a premium to get the watch with T-Mobile so that I could use it. Well, what's happening is that where we live, the cell phone signal goes in and out all the time. So what the watch is doing is it's looking for a tower, not finding it, looking again, not finding it, and that's what's chewing all the battery life up. I eventually switched out the watch. I took it back and I ended up getting an AT&T one. Haven't had any battery problems since. But in the quest to try to work out how to minimize this battery consumption, I turned off the LTE on the watch completely, and I did everything with Bluetooth in my, to my phone. And that worked fantastic. I, didn't, I hardly used any battery. I could get three days out of this thing. Problem is, Bluetooth low energy has a uh, distance limitation. And depending on who you talk to and depending on how your house is set up, you might get 10, 10 meters or 10 yards, 30 feet. You might get 40. You might get 100. Um, but in my particular case, from one end of the house to the other, I could literally walk halfway through the house and then my watch goes, I'm disconnecting from Bluetooth and I'm going to find a mobile network. And that was what was driving me nuts. And so I thought, you know, what the answer is here is that they're starting to talk about Bluetooth mesh networking in the same way your Wi-Fi is, so that you could carry your phone or any device which is connected to Bluetooth all the way through your house and it retains a connection by using a mesh network. Well, apparently this is like really new science fiction or something and it's only just recently been announced, but nobody is yet doing it. Um and so I thought, because of my battery issues, that this was going to be my future. I was going to have to be the, the guy to try to work this thing out and build some network of Raspberry Pis to talk to each other with a backbone and all this. Well, anyway, I find out in the end that the problem was T-Mobile and went away as soon as I went to AT&T, and, and now I don't have that need. But that's what's behind this whole mesh network thing. So when you talk about Wi-Fi mesh networks, you got my ears up because I'm thinking – this mesh network thing's really cool. And one of the greatest uh, technologies to take advantage of it apparently is smart homes. Mm -hmm. um, the idea being that, you know, everything can connect to everything else over distance using this relaying mesh construct. So I, I don't know. I think it's something I want to keep a really close watch on. I know it's right around the corner. And what you're doing with the Wi-Fi is probably leading the charge. Um, so just hopefully you're not the guy getting shot as you lead it through the door, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the pioneers take the arrows is what I used to tell people at my other job. From both sides. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, mess networking is not new. It's been around 
since the 70s at least, probably, you know, in military constructs long before that. But it's been available for, it's been in use by municipalities and, and corporations for that long, 40 years plus. Uh, but it's really, it's just now become affordable. And we'll talk about that. I, uh, still planning to do a whole theme month on networking, and mesh networking is becoming the the thing right now. Uh, just like um, you know, quadcopters and, and other things like that. The technology is old, uh, and that's what makes it good because it's it's old and now it's cheap and now it's come to the masses. And so you're going to see more and more of this sort of stuff. You're going to start seeing you know uh, your keys talk to your car, talk to your phone, talk to your uh, house. Uh, you know, and, and it's all going to be a, a single mesh like that. Um, I'm excited about uh, what is going to come. Uh, Seth, you put it in here. If you hadn't put it in here, I was going to ask you about it because I know you were in line opening night to see the Power Rangers movie. Okay, well, no, not opening night. I saw it Saturday night, so it was a couple of days there. But, okay, I think that they did an awesome job with this movie. It is none of the cheese from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I would say it is a good superhero movie. And for me, it would rank like mid-tier of the Marvel Universe. So, you know, it's not Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's better than, at the very least, the last two Iron Mans. So, um, you know, in one of the Captain Americas. So, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Um, to me, it's 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 obviously marketed towards the teenagers, but you know, there's several there's several things they throw in there, homages to people who at least watched the first series. Because I didn't realize this, but Power Rangers were around until a year or two ago in some form, and they might even still be around. But um, so you know, and there were several things in there that was like, oh, I, you know, that's cool. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. So it almost had that Josh Wheaton love affair with the fans going for it, but it's much more age appropriate for teenagers than like Hunger Games with teens killing each other in blood and gore. So there's a couple of on screen deaths, but they're not, you know, you don't see chest exploding or anything like that. They just kind of die and. I would have no problem taking a child to go see this movie because in the, there's lots of lots of good ways to talk, you know, self-sacrifice and consequences for your actions and standing up for your friends and being real with people in order to get stuff done. Good messages. And, and of course, you know, some of it's just you want to see giant mechs and monsters fighting. Who doesn't want to see that? So no rubber suits I, in this version. No, it's um. The it's real no CGI good CGI so um you know the the suit there when they morph it looks really good um and um and you know it was just really good I really enjoyed it I thought I I wasn't expecting a lot but it blew away my expectations so all right. Uh, it's it's going to be a Netflixer for me. I'm not going to go pay $18 to see it. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm okay with mid-range teen-based superhero movies. Yeah, I mean, I would rate it higher than, like I say, the except for maybe the last um, Mockingjay movie. Somehow that last one, they just blew the roof off. Uh, 
but you know, I, I would put it above those and above the teenage angst of vampires that glitter in the sun. Um, it was it was much better <laughs> for me than those. So, all right. Uh, and then one one other thing I wanted to to touch on, and I know we're twenty minutes in already, thirty minutes into uh, um, warm up, but whatever. Um, I've I've talked about it before, and I will be talking about it again. But I, uh, my my whole man cave LED lighting Raspberry Pi controller project uh, today, I really started ramping up the process. So I, I've I've been doing everything small scale, and I've I've sent these guys some some uh, videos I've been making. Uh, but today, I wanted to torture test a 220 watt power supply. I had a, a friend of mine uh, send me uh, some uh, just a stack of power supplies he had in the back room. Uh, because they're, they're, at this point, they're kind of free. Um, power supplies are everywhere. Um, but these are small ones. They're 220 uh, watts. And so I wanted to see uh, just how much load I could put on one, uh, how many of them I was going to need to do this thing. I, I think I have now eight strands of lights that I can uh, bring to bear. So I started adding them uh, one by one, and I put them on just an all lights on. So uh, the white, the red, the green, the blue, all on full out. So I'm maximizing it. And by the numbers, that's pulling about two amps per string. Um, I didn't know what it really was, but just according to the the math on it, it's about two amps per string. Uh, so uh, a standard PC power supply can pull 10 to 15 amps, you know, uh, pretty comfortably. Uh, I, I didn't know if I was going to be over the water. So I really, I was just trying to torture test it. I wanted to see what would happen. It, literally, it was junk. So if I fried it, I didn't care that much. Uh, so I was just going to keep adding until until something died. Um, so on my fifth light strand, uh, the power supply was still humming along. Fan was, wasn't even really kicking. Lights were all working. Pie was fine. Um, one of the uh, small leads that goes from the power supply to my breadboard started smoking. So my limitation there, <laughs> pulling roughly 10 amps over a breadboard jumper, I'm going to need bigger wire uh, on that. Uh, the the wire leads on the power supply itself, I was tapping off of the, the small Molex that would go to like a floppy drive. What's that? Yeah, a floppy drive. Um, the little small five one. Those, those were fine. There was no heating there. Um, so I think if I bump up the wire, I might be able to get six off a 220-watt power supply. I'll test it. A little later on, once I get a, some stronger wire, uh, but I'm really, you know, the the goal here is to to scale up. My plan is to have somewhere between uh, twenty and thirty uh, different strands of lights throughout this uh, fifteen by twenty room, uh, and just you know, really going to town on them. Uh, I don't, I don't honestly know what it's going to look like when it's all said and done, but I need to know what the maximum limits I can run are. So then my next step is to try to i'm going to need more than one power supply obviously unless i go buy a big honking you know thousand watt power supply so my next step is to chain them together uh again the math says i can just tie the grounds together call it common and and be fine as long as the power the 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 12 volts never come into contact with each other that's what the math says we'll see what reality says uh once i start trying it so uh you know, if you read a headline, man dies in fire in basement, um, you'll know that I, I failed. But I do have some experience with this sort of thing. But I mention all of this to to say I, I was having uh, lunch with somebody today, and I was telling them about uh, my my prog- project and my progress. And, and he said, well, can't you just go buy, you know, this uh, a controller like that? 
And I, I get this all the time. Uh, you know, when I talk about my my coffee crazy rig, and and when I when I'm doing something woodworking, uh, you know, my one of my woodworking projects right now is I'm building a butcher block uh, island for my wife in the kitchen. So I've got mechanical science, um, uh, uh, material science, and and food science all going at the same time in my basement. It's crazy. Uh, but I, I get this question all the time: is is can't you just go buy that? And and the the answer I've come up with is. The, the goal is not to have the thing. The goal is to have made the thing. Um, and I think that, that we're losing that maker mentality. Um, the, the furniture that we look around the house and make, um, none of the furniture I've made is as good or um, a high quality as, as something uh, engineered, designed, machine manufactured, and bought in a store. You can look around the house and you can say, oh, Mark built that. Um, he bought that from Ikea. Uh, you, you can tell it's, it's not as, it's not as, uh, refined, but at the same time, if I did it right, a hundred years from now, my children's grandchildren are going to be able to look at that and say, oh yeah, that's something my great grandfather made. That's the whole point. I want it to be recognized as something that somebody made rather than something somebody bought from a store. Uh, I'm building things not to have them, but to have made them. And I feel the same way about podcasting, and that and that ties into what we're talking about tonight. Um, sure, you could click on the radio and listen to some guy who gets lots of money to be really good at what he does, um, and that's fine. But some, there's also something to be said for the artisanal work um, of somebody doing it just for having done it. Um, and so this this project with the lights, the the podcasting, the the everything I do, I could probably buy something better and maybe even less expensive. But then I don't get the experience of having made it. The journey is the, the, the goal. The end result is not the goal. And um, if, if you ever look at a maker and say, couldn't you just go buy that? You have completely misunderstood the concept and the, the drive to make. There's more to this too, because you've got the side benefit of doing something that inspires others. So I, I've been watching your journey and all of a sudden, I'm now I'm on board with this thing because... <clears throat> per my previous uh, rant about this watch and getting notified around the house when I have an adverse event, it, it dawned on me, I have Nagios, which is an open source uh, event monitoring system that you can download for free and put on a server and you can tell it to monitor you know, anything you want, really. I mean, monitor a computer being on or you could monitor the stock market. You could monitor anything you want. Well, when, you, when it creates a situation which would create something to notify somebody, all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, we'll send a message, send an email, buzz my wrist on my watch. But then I'm thinking, here's a really cool idea. Mark's gone down this avenue to, you know, sort of carve out this journey with LEDs, what you're doing. What if I was to hook Nagios up to a little rest server that we put on that Pi next to your software and have it message the the Pi to say, hey, there's an adverse event. Turn all the lights in the room red. Or there's uh, your stock is within X threshold of where you want to sell it. So start changing the lights from green to yellow or, you know, like do all of this weird stuff that uses the coloration of lighting as a, and a, as a very subtle and easy to get used to messaging system. Because, 
you know, look, if the colour of the light in the room changes, it's not going to really stop you doing what you're doing. It doesn't get in the way of your life, but the colour can tell you something that you wouldn't normally see. So I'm thinking, you've done all the hard work, right? You've, you've done the lighting part. You've got all the hardware. You've done the Python work. Maybe what I'll do is I'll do the Nagios plugin that can start messaging your stuff. So not only is it going to change your colors when you want it to change based on, you know, your movies or whatever, but you could also have it start changing colors based on external events going on in the world, whatever you want them to be. So I don't see see how infectious this is. And we're not going to get there if we go and buy something. Exactly. We, yeah. So, no, this is cool, dude. This is the whole maker mentality. Yeah, I, the, there's a famous uh, quote from Thomas Edison that says, uh, two weeks of research can sh- save you an hour in the library. Um, and and I, that's, that's the maker mentality. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a worthwhile trade-off to me. Two weeks of research instead of an hour in the library uh yeah i'm 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 down with that like last last night i was you know before bed just sitting on the the side of the bed uh flipping through my phone and and my wife said you know what are you doing well i'm researching power uh uh, switching power supplies and and back channeling them and and controlling them all together and she was like what yeah well see that's the thing it's i need there's a mass of knowledge i need to know and the gaining of the knowledge is important, is as important, or is 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 maybe the whole point of this is to do the thing. I I, I mentioned it. the The reason I'm doing Python for this is because I've never done Python. Yeah, I could have picked another language I already knew, but that's not the point. The point is for me to come out with not only a product, but the knowledge that it took to make that product. And uh, anyway, I, I'm I'm circular talking, but uh, you know, to make is a mindset and not just an activity. Seth, you have any thoughts on that? No, I mean, one thing y'all have totally overlooked, why buy a product when you can buy a tool? <laughs> there you go. I mean- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just, th- this weekend, I was looking at my household projects and I prioritized the ones that required new tools um, because why not? Um, all right. Yeah. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. WikiLeaks, Vault 7, your Mac, all your base are belong to us. Yeah. Oh, this was nice. I saw this. I, I've been, I have a love-hate relationship with WikiLeaks, like I guess everyone does. You know, you don't know whether to trust these guys or anything, but this latest dump of CIA stuff is pure techno stuff for us geeks. So I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to politi- uh, politicize it. I'm just going to read what it does. So they published this thing called the Dark Matter release this week. Um, and I read it, and it was a single page, just very basic overview. And it pretty much says, if you've got a Mac, we own you. Apparently, the uh, Seth, you can explain this much better than me because I'm not an expert on EFI or the boot EFI stuff, but it's effectively a rootkit, right? Is, is that what's going on here? Well, it's a rootkit that um, exists within the firmware, so it doesn't exist on the um, hard drives. You could swap a hard drive, you could swap the memory or whatever. You would have to actually physically take the motherboard out to remove the firmware. Um, otherwise, it would persist, you know, used to, oh, that machine's infective, time to format, reinstall, do-da, and then you're every back up. But now you can format, reinstall, new hard drive, and you're still infected. But um, a little research, it's you. It's mostly older stuff that has been patched for years. So, Ah, uh, all right. Uh, okay. 
So here I'm thinking we're all doomed. If <laughs> the CIA <laughs> are putting rootkits on every device so that they can monitor us, oh my gosh, we're doomed. And the crazy <laughs> thing about that is, is you know, uh, assuming this is true, and and WikiLeaks doesn't have a hundred percent record of truth, but assuming it's true, um, there is no mediation for this because you could say sure uh, re uh, uh, flash the BIOS, but where are you going to get that? You're going to get that from Apple, uh, who was infiltrated or partnered with the CIA. Uh, so there is no path to a clean boot sector there. It can't be done because Apple designed the chip. They're the only ones who understand it well enough to write the, the BIOS or the, uh, the uh, UEFI for it. So that is the single source. That's why the CIA wanted to, to, uh, to infect at the source because there's no, there's no way around it. The only way around it is turn off the Mac. So maybe Bill Gates paid them to do it to the Macs. <laughs> it's possible. So, uh, <laughs> well, the, the, the reason it's a Mac, and, and this seems pretty obvious to me, is it's a single manufacturer um, right. and a single uh, bit of hardware. If you, if you say, okay, I'm going to infect PCs, great, which ones? Which manufacturers? Which BIOS chips? Which hard drives? Uh, you know, Because of uh, Apple's tight uh, um, hardware chain control, uh, it's really easy to make sure that 100% of your Macs are infected with your malware because there's only one place that they can all come from. Yeah. Yeah. And just as a state of the times, why do we not, why would we be shocked if any of the major quote unquote mainstream media outlets came out with this information? We don't expect the, we don't expect, I mean, this is journalism. Uh, why don't, why don't we expect journalists to do journalism anymore? Oh, don't so. get me started on journalism. The entire definition <laughs> of journalism has been bastardized in the last 40 years to me. No, Go ahead. Okay. I understand. No, you know, and you know, you could say, why don't we expect reporters to report stuff like this anymore? Why is it now the domain of hackers to give us information that somebody says, don't you love children? Why are you doing this? So. Anyway, yeah. that, that's that's for socioeconomics today, or yeah, everyday that, socioeconomics. That might be a better podcast. <laughs> on, our, on our next 10-minute tirade, I think I've just decided what it's going to be, journalism. You know, um, It's gone from a guy weeping as he watched the Hindenburg collapse to a guy starting out with an agenda of the story he's going to tell and then finding the facts that match his story. That's not journalism. All right. Um, a couple of bits of listener feedback. Um, some, some guys have responded to my, um, imploring to say, Hey, are you really there? Do you really care? Matt says he's still here. He says, greetings from the ether. I'm a longtime listener from the early EDL days. And I've chimed in from time to time, though, not from this address as I'm pulling myself away from Google email. Interesting. I'm happy with the way the show is going. I do miss hearing from Chris, and I find myself regularly at a different viewpoint than the ones you guys take. However, I find that to be a good thing, as it makes me reevaluate what I think about a subject and why I think it. The audience may have shrank, but there are still plenty of us who appreciate what you do, Matt. I appreciate that, Matt. And uh, your, cont uh, your idea about being at a different mindset goes back to what Seth was talking about, the filter bubble. Um, if nobody ever disagrees with you, you're doing something wrong. Um, yep. What was it? Uh, Eisenhower. If everybody, if everybody's thinking like somebody's not thinking, um, anyway, 
And then Russ says that we span not only the Atlantic, but the generation gap as well. Hi to all three. I'm a long-term listener for several years. I don't remember quite how long. Like Mark's mother, I'm approaching 80, and I shall hit that milestone towards the end of next year. I enjoy listening to the Geek Rant, although sometimes it's more of a ramble. Why do I enjoy it? Well, uh, I'm learning about American culture. It hadn't occurred to me that we English speakers could be so different. Last month's financial theme really set me thinking, for example, paying for health care. We are now coming to terms with paying for higher education. Mine was completely free to me, paid for by the state. My granddaughter will have an enormous debt when she finishes her degree. Uh, then, of course, the politics. Enough said. I do miss the Linux stuff, but there are plenty of other podcasts. Uh, I've been using Linux full-time since about 2006, and I've never looked back. In more than 10 years, I've had to call... I've never had to call on anyone else to get me out of a hole. I've uh, just... Uh, I just bought a new laptop, a Lenovo uh, IdeaPad with an i5 processor. I had problems installing Mint, uh, but I was able to solve them just using the web. Keep the rants coming. I shall continue to listen. Russ from Mendip Hills, Somerset. Thank you, Russ. Wait. Yeah, good on you, Russ. I, I would have read that in English accent, but then we would have lost him as a listener. So, <laughs> Bob's your uncle. <laughs> All right, so without further ado, our favorite podcasts, and just because this is the order they sent them to me, Seth, go. Okay, so I will start off with, and I sent these in alphabetical order, so the first one I listen to is Android App Addicts, um, because I have a well-stated and publicized view that all apps are crap. That's why it's app because it rhymes with crap. And so I figure, you know, that's probably not a good position. So I keep listening to Android app addicts because they are going to give me that one golden app that breaks through my hatred of, you know, slim down web pages that are called apps. So, and bombard you with advertising. It hasn't happened. Although I did get swipe from Mark, like the week before it came out. So that's, uh, that's why I listen to that one. And then, uh, then you know, uh, well, let, let's pause a moment there. Uh, okay. uh, full, full, uh, disclosure. I am the host, uh, one of the hosts of that show, uh, but I've been a listener since before. It's uh, in about its fifth year, I think. And in the, for the last year and a half or so, I've been the host. Uh, when the the primary host left, I door to door geek, who's a regular on this show or was for a while, uh, was the, uh, the the host of that. And I sent him an email and said, "Please, please, let me do this because I love the show." So there you go. Cool. All right, so the next one I have is the Believer's Voice of Victory audio podcast. This is Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Um, I enjoy it. I don't always agree with it, but it's it's like Mark said. If all you ever hear is the same thing as you already believe, then what's the point? So, you know, I can play solitaire and get just as much benefit as I can. So, you know, it's I, I enjoy their style of teaching and the way they explain things. And a lot of the guests, I think, they tell stories. You know, it's their personal personal stories of their time in ministry. I really enjoy it. Like I say, don't always agree with it, but I enjoy that podcast. So any comments from that one? Well, what is it? It's uh, obviously from the name, it's a religious podcast, but what, what is the format of it? What is it? Um, usually it is, um, it's him or someone in his ministry teaching. And so they'll, it's a 30 minute podcast. So 25 minutes or so where they will talk about a specific subject, you know, um, 
Sometimes it's like shame and how shame can impact your walk with Christ. Other times they will have guests on and then their that guest is kind of telling their story. And so you get to, you know, people you might have only heard of in passing, you get to hear them talk and talk about the scripture and stuff like that. So um, and it's the word of faith persuasion. If you're a Christian, you've probably heard that term and good, bad or indifferent. You know, I'll, I'll let you be the judge of that. Okay. All right, so the next one is Epicenter. It is the weekly podcast on blockchain, Ethereum, Bitcoin, and distributed technologies. Um, I had finally caught up with all my podcasts and went looking for some new one. So I found this one, and it's about three years, uh, three and a half years old. I decided to start at the very beginning. I've listened to almost a year now, and uh, so it started in early 14. I'm at the end of 14. Um, And it's just a variable show link. Sometimes they cover news. Sometimes they interview people who are involved in the Bitcoin community. So I just, uh, I enjoy the info they provide and cool stuff. And I'll be putting the links to all of these in the show notes. So uh, if you, something uh, uh, appeals to you listener, uh, you'll be able to just go there and subscribe with a click. All righty. Um, the next one is another religious podcast, Life Church, which is Craig Groeschel. He is uh, kind of famous for pioneering the video campuses. Um, and so this is their, I again, all of these are audio. I don't do any video podcasts anymore because you can't speed those up. But and Craig Groeschel is someone... Um, don't try to listen to him fast unless you're already listening to other people fast because he could speak. Him regular speed sounds like 1.5x. Um, but anyway, Craig Rochelle, Life Church. I enjoy that one. I've listened to them for a while. All right. Okay. The next one is the Money Tree Investing Podcast. Uh, they cover stock market, wealth, personal finance, value stocks. And um, I really like it because. Over the years, the kind of the hosts have changed, but they are people who are involved in the financial industry, whether they're financial reporters. Some of them have been um, personal, like consultants, and they, I can't even think of the word now, but like they manage your finances. So uh, anyway, I like listening to them because they after you get to know the host, they have like where the first half of their podcast is they interview someone who is an expert in like some type of either stock markets or, you know, tax investing or saving for college or, you know, being an adult, being an adult, managing your finances. Generally, uh, one person was about how to, you know, how they made their money in real estate. And then the second half of the show is them talking about the interviews and the concepts that were brought up in the interview. Um, so I really, really informative if you want, and you know, they're, they're kind of funny too. So if you want to like, kind of get a, you know, just learn some finances, like I can't afford to go to my financial advisor every week here. You're getting to listen to four of them talk for free once a week. And they have a regular listener feedback episodes where they take questions and they answer them really good. I highly recommend it. If you want to learn more about finances from a, they're not somebody preaching down at you for being stupid all your life. They're like, let's start where we are and kind of build our way up. Uh, the next one, I'm about to delete this one because they haven't released any content for a while. It's the money tree radio. And basically 
if you were to like say somebody between me and Miles talking about Bitcoin, so not a novice, not an expert, that was this guy talking about finances. It was kind of kind of okay. Um, anyway, related kinda, to the previous money tree thing. No. Okay. Uh, you know, the concept of a money tree is rather than having to earn money, you plant a tree that money grows off of it. So making your investments work for you rather than you work for your money, that's called a money tree. And so those are two different podcasts that have played on that concept. So uh, the money tree radio, he talks about some kind of outside the normal finances sometimes, and sometimes he's a little out there. Again, I'm about to cut them because they haven't new stuff come out in a year. Um, the next one is Road to Ted. Again, no new content in like a year and a half. But if you want to, in in if you want to grow your public speaking ability this would be a great podcast to listen to because these are two guys who their goal was to speak at a TED or TEDx conference. And so they would interview people who either were preparing or had just given a TED talk and they would interview them, you know, how did you get to be on there? If I were going to speak, what is one tip you would give me? So this is kind of like you're having a speech coach for free. And I think there were only like 30 episodes, but really cool stuff. If you want to learn to be a better public speaker. Uh, the next one is one I've talked about before the history of Rome. This uh, podcast ended a couple of years ago. It ended on number 179, but with uh, multi parts and two part episodes and stuff, it would, there were almost 200 episodes. It starts from the founding of Rome all the way through the fall of the Western half of the Roman empire. Uh, I'm over halfway done with it. Um, really good. I love history. So it's really cool. Um, I really enjoy it. And I just so, want to say there that just because a podcast is has end of life doesn't mean there's not value there. Uh, I keep yeah. all the, the my old stuff out there. Like Art of Podcasting, for example, is one I think we did 39 episodes and then we chose to end it because we'd said how we wanted to say. That doesn't mean that there's no longer value in those old uh, episodes. So just because Seth is saying uh, some of these haven't had any content uh, in a while doesn't mean that you can't benefit from the content that has been there previously. Yeah, because the history of Rome stopped when it fell. You exactly. know, it's not like it's continuing. So once you cover it. I need it, to know the latest about the history of Rome. Right. Um, let's see. The next one I have is the Meeting House podcast. A friend of mine is a pastor at a church in Pennsylvania, and this is the church he's a pastor of. So he preaches most of the time. Sometimes it's other staff members. Um, I enjoy the way he preaches. It's very informative. And very listenable if that's a good word he's very engaging with his audience and you can kind of feel that across the podcast um the last one i have is the way i heard it with mike Rowe. kind of think the rest of the story uh with a different narrator and that's what that is that's the way i heard it so that's my list yeah mike Rowe is actively trying to to pick up paul harvey's mantle and and i encourage you uh, to listen to that one. Uh, if you're, uh, if you're a Facebooker, he's got a great Facebook page, uh, where he writes really good long form articles. Um, I started listening to this, uh, with episode one, uh, and it's the only one on Seth's list other than Android app addicts, obviously where, where I am a host, uh, that was a duplicate for me. And that's kind of amazing. Seth and I, in many ways, uh, you know, share three quarters of a brain, 
uh, but we don't have the same podcasts. So interesting. Yeah, it was some of yours I used to listen to, but when I was away from podcasting for a while, I just, I didn't really listen to anything. But then when I came back, I got for a while, I was kind of lazy and I was a month behind. So I deleted some. And then when I caught up, I slowly added back. And because I'm doing the back catalog of the uh, epicenter and the history of Rome, I'm listening to multiples of those a week, at least one a day, sometimes two or three a day. So once I get those caught up, then I'm going to be adding another one or two. All right, Miles, any comments on Seth's list before you do your own? Um, yeah, I, you know, what's interesting is that as I was looking through the list that Seth has just gone through and I'm starting to realize, you know, what you listen to deter- tells a lot of people about you. It's because it, 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 it hits your deepest things that you listen to privately, right? So you yeah. can see, you can see who somebody is by looking at their podcast feed. And I didn't realize that until I looked at my list and go, what a twisted person you are, Miles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, but so Seth is, uh, Seth is the guy I thought Seth was by looking at his <laughs> podcast list. <laughs> Mine, you might get a little surprised. It's weird and wonderful. Anyway. Go for it. All right. Well, um, I'll start off with the easy one. So you guys remember Spinal Tap? Remember the movie? Absolutely. Okay. So it's a mockumentary, right? Well, my first podcast I'm going to start with is kind of a mockumentary podcast. It's called GP Rejects. And this is a – It's it, most people who are into motorsport know what Formula One is. It's kind of the pinnacle of motorsport. It's the fastest and the, the millions and the Monacos and, you know, all of the champagne. And it's that, it's that sort of racing. And what these guys do is that they trace every single race event in reverse – they work out who came last and they celebrate the losers. And the whole thing is all about trying to, to um, make it so that it comes across like some sort of an award show you'd normally have for winners, but in reverse. But even if you didn't know anything about motorsport, these guys are some of the funniest comedians I've ever seen and they do everything deadpan. So you think you're listening, you're listening to this thing going, what on earth are they talking about? And they're deadly serious about celebrating the losers of things. And it's just been years I've been listening to this thing. It doesn't come out anywhere near as frequent as it should, but they do probably six to eight shows a year, and it's funny. But you probably do need to have some sort of a relationship with motorsport to get a lot of their jokes. But, uh, yeah, it's wonderful to see people do crazy artistic things in reverse like that. So that's my first one. It's called GP Rejects. Let me, let me tell you a quick story. Um, uh, the one time in my life I ever went to uh, an outdoor dirt track race, it was a, a half-mile oval short track uh, dirt track uh, race. Uh, there was a, a race that I think there were 10 cars in it, and on a, on a half-mile oval, that's pretty crowded. Um, and so there was this one car – um, that had been leading almost the whole race and they were on the last lap. Um, and the car behind him got a little fed up with him and, and nudged him a little bit and spun him out. So in the process of the spin out, the, the radial force on the tires, let the air out of all four tires and spun him around backwards in the most amazing reflexes I've ever seen in my life. He throws it in reverse, stomps on it and finishes the race going backwards on four flat tires. 
Now he lost. He went from first place to fourth place uh, in that uh, that transition. But imagine being the guy in fifth place. You got beat <laughs> by a guy going backwards on four flat tires. <laughs> so true. So true. All right. So I'll, I'll continue down the list. The next one is for the gamers out there. I guess there's a. I like um, strategy games. What I mean by that are games that are typically turn by turn. Kind of like chess on computers, almost. I like uh, strategy games that might be historical. They might be based on Napoleonic warfare, or you know, battle scenarios from World War One, or some sort of crazy, or even Roman stuff. Um, these guys do a podcast. It's called Three Moves Ahead, and it's a bunch of guys who work within the gaming industry, or they're journalists for game reviews, but they focus specifically on strategy games um it's very popular i didn't realize how popular it was i thought i was one of the few people to stumble upon it but it's really cool it's called three moves ahead and if you like strategy games on computers or tablets or phones or whatever check this one out it's really cool um okay now you guys were talking about pop when you said podcasts to make a list i forgot you know i sort of watch video podcasts too and i found one of them that I've sort of inserted in here because I thought, well, they're not most of the stuff is audio that I typically listen to, but this this particular one is on YouTube. And it's interesting because it's a guy who is based he's a Canadian guy. His name's Jeff Berwick. And he's based in uh, uh, Acapulco in Mexico. And he specifically emigrated and left Canada, kind of abandoned Canada, to go to Mexico and live the life of what he calls or what, what is commonly referred to as an anarcho-capitalist. So anarcho-capitalists are people who make a hell of a lot of money doing everything opposite to everybody else and completely working outside of the, the, the traditional banking system. And it's through this guy uh, that I have to credit that I discovered a lot about Bitcoin. And, uh, but it's not about Bitcoin. It's about having a kind of an adversarial relationship with governments and, and the things that we probably don't like. I'm not sure if I agree with everything this guy's on about. There's a lot of things I don't, but he has some amazing guests and he, it just the fact that this guy's actually living that life and he kind of went and became a citizen of, I think he went and got a citizenship in like the Dominican Republic to allow him to live in, in um, uh, uh, wherever I said, uh, Acapulco. And this guy lives this rock star life there and he does all of this stuff with investments and makes millions and millions of dollars and he does it completely outside of the control of any governments and all this sort of stuff. It's very um, alternative, shall we say. Whether you agree or you don't agree with the guy, the guy, it's entertaining to listen to the stuff he goes on about. So I checked that one out. That's uh, Anacast, it's called. Um, all right, so, you know, obviously Seth and I are Bitcoin people, but um, the one that I would say is probably top of my list in terms of uh, Bitcoin podcasts is uh, one called Let's Talk Bitcoin. And it's usually about once a week, once every couple of weeks, um, it has uh, different hosts from different backgrounds, but it routinely has uh, Andreas, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Anopoulos. 
the, the the Bitcoin guy who's out there sort of talking to governments and, and doing the big speeches and the high-level stuff on Bitcoin. Um, and he's uh, one of the hosts. So it's very, very good. It's very technical. I warn you, it gets really deep in the weeds of the programming. Um, so if you're into that, you'd like it. If you're not, it might turn you off a little bit. Um, one show, the next one that is completely not technical is a show uh, called Radical Personal Finance. It's becoming very popular. Um, I can't remember the host name, Josh. I can't remember his last name. Anyway, he does a, a show a couple of times a week now and uh, fantastic if you're looking for very good ways of doing financial investing and, and money and stuff like that. He's a very devout Christian. So everything he does is done within a very solid framework, uh, but he is very open to looking at different ways to invest in different market funds and tax and all the things that go along that you know you have to deal with on a daily basis. So radical personal finance is a good. It's a good one. You'd, you'd enjoy it. This one's a little alternative. Um, so have you guys ever stumbled upon a website called Torrent Freak before? I have. You have. They're like. They're kind of pro-BitTorrent, pro-piracy without directly saying that. But you can tell from the blog that the types of things they talk about. Yeah, are, they're not torrenting uh, Linux distros. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Their relationship with the RIAA and the MPAA, shall we say, would be strained. Um, well, they, they uh, have a guy who does a podcast out of England, and it's called Steal This Show. And it's basically an editorial um, review of media piracy, BitTorrent, and all the stuff that goes on about the weird and wonderful underworld of the media without necessarily supporting it or saying it's good or telling you how to do this stuff. It's more of a thousand-foot view, of a very journalistic view of this sort of thing. So check it out. It's called Steal This Show, and if you like it, all power to you. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Um, so again, on the sort of fringe stuff is a show that's been out since the late 1980s, and it's uh, by a crew out of New York City, the 2600 guys. If you've ever walked into a Barnes & Noble or you probably maybe stumbled upon one of their little magazines that they have on the shelves there. Have you ever seen those 2600s? What is this magazine you speak of? 2600 <laughs> is called the Hacker Quarterly. And it's a- Oh, yeah. I, have, I actually bought one one time. Right, right. Well, they're still making it and they're still doing what they do. And uh, it's the weirdest. It's almost like a fanzine that you can buy in a in a magazine store in a bookstore. And if if that name doesn't make any sense to people, way back when mm -hmm. people used to publish their own little magazines on paper and mail them out to little private audiences, and they were often called zines or fanzines. These guys did one on phone freaking back in the eighties, and it morphed into this thing called Twenty Six Hundred, which happens to be named after 2600 hertz, which is the tone used to control phone systems back in the 70s. Uh, apparently, if you were to whistle at 2600 hertz into a phone back then, you could, I don't know, control the phone system or something. Hackers loved that stuff back in those days. Anyway, these days the world's very different, but these guys do a weekly uh, podcast. It's available as a podcast. It's actually a radio show they record and then release it. 
Um, and it's really cool because it's far more about the politics of hacking and digital rights and the freedom to explore and do all of that sort of thing that we would put under the term hacking in that hackers in a positive light and the things that people have done and also to, but it's very political. Um, it tends to support those that have been in, you know, either jailed because of hacking or doing all this sort of thing. And you get to know a bit about how these people think and how the world works in on their side of it. And, it's, it's very entertaining, uh, but very interesting. I, I would absolutely recommend it. So it's called Off the Hook. That's the name of the show that they do, but it's under the 2600 sort of mantra, and that's because of that magazine. Uh, okay, quickly I'll get through these others. Um, I found a really cool podcast uh, called Abroaders, and it's all about people who like to travel around the world for free. Um it's basically people who use things like credit cards or op- opportunities to buy tickets nobody wants on aeroplanes. And what happens is that these guys, these abroaders guys, have a company that you can pay some money and they will find you a cheap ticket anywhere for you and your family and you don't have to do all the legwork. They know how to do it. And they'll use frequent flyer miles combined with you know deals that the airlines have and and ways of tricking the system uh, to be able to get you the flight. And I'll give you a very simple example. If you want to fly from uh, LA to Chicago, you might be surprised if you went and bought that ticket, it's $500. But if you choose to fly from LA to Cincinnati, there might be a flight for $150 because nobody goes on that route. And then when you look at it, you find out that the route that goes to LA to Cincinnati goes through Chicago. So what you do is you get off the plane in Chicago and you throw away the last leg and you bought yourself a $150 ticket to Chicago, right? Smart. Well, these guys know how to play that game. And every week, they're telling you how to play that game. It's really cool. But they live the life. They, they live all over the world. They broadcast from all over the place. Right now, they're in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, before they were in Medellin, Colombia. Before that, they were somewhere in in Barcelona, in Spain, and then before that, they were, they were in Austin, Texas. And they just pot around the place because they can, <laughs> and they just record this podcast every week, put it out there. So it's really cool. Abroaders. Just a quick word of warning: if you want to do that Chicago, Cincinnati thing, you can't check a bag. Uh, no, you would be carrying on. I would yeah. think, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but um, anyway, that's one of many little tricks. Go there, listen to them. They'll tell you all about it. Um, Okay, so back in the days that you guys were everyday Linux, when I used to be a listener, um, you were on my feed because I was listening to a lot of Linux podcasts, and I'm sure a lot of the audience here came to this show in the same way. Um, Well, one of the popular Linux podcasts, broadcasting services, shall we call it, out there is one called Jupiter Broadcasting. It's a guy, Chris, I can't think of his last name. Thank you, Chris Fisher. Um, Well, he has a very popular show that's called, uh, I think, uh, what is that one? Linux Action Show. That's it. Thank you, sir. The Linux Action Show. Well, I'm not so much of an interested in that one, but he has a side show called Linux Unplugged. It comes out, I think, every Tuesday. And it's a community kind of meetup of – it's like a virtual Linux user group. And 
it's quite cool because some of the people who attend it, um, they're guys who work for Canonical, they're guys who created the Mate distro, they're, they're deep in the Linux community. And I think it gets overlooked a lot. A lot of people think of Jupyter Broadcasting because of the Linux Action Show. But in fact, I think the real jewel here is Linux Unplugged. And I don't know, those guys can be annoying. Um, they, they try to make the sh they try to amp the show up like it was a Howard Stern episode. Um, and it doesn't really work, but still the content is excellent. So I would absolutely recommend that one. Um, another one, Liberty Entrepreneurs. I stumbled upon this, uh, because it's got a bit of Bitcoin in there and is a bit of, this guy's really good about supporting um, charity causes for money, uh, for donating and, and, and sort of the freedom of entrepreneurship. Um, and I would definitely recommend it. Liberty Entrepreneurs is a good podcast for that. Um, and again, you'll see the feed in my list. And then the last one on the list, and that'll be the end of my lot, is uh, Paul Security Weekly. Um, this has been around for ages. Have you uh, ever stumbled upon this one? No, no. no. He's he's the funniest guy. He used to have a show called Paul.com, and its website was paul.com.com. <laughs> it's P-A-U-L-D-O-T-C-O-M.com, right? <laughs> and I thought that's kind of kind of weird. Anyway, um, Paul Asadorian is the main host. He is a character. These guys are hilariously funny, and they work for companies that do uh, penetration testing. Um, so they work on the, they work in, I guess, what we would refer to as InfoSec or that part of the IT business, which is basically computer security. And they're the good guys, you know, they're the defense guys. But because they live in a world where they're constantly being hacked or having to deal with this constant attack and, entre, you know, onslaught of stuff, they kind of bandy together and they, they have this podcast, which is kind of like a bunch of guys having some beer and smoking some cigars somewhere and going on about what the week was like for them to defend against all these idiots attacking websites or attacking their clients or whatever. And it's, it's really fun. It's a really good show. If you want to also learn about the latest techniques and trends that are going on in security, these guys give you the, all the details. And that is my list. I just wanted to comment on that uh, that last bit you said there. It's it's a show about guys getting together and having a conversation they would have if, if they were having a beer. Uh, that's what most of this show is. And it's also the thing I get the most complaints about is, you know, <laughs> really? that it's too much of us talking about our lives. But I've, I see that's the value. And I've said that many times before. Uh, when we talk about a news topic, you can get that news topic anywhere. The only place you can get Seth's opinion on it is here, unless you actually no seth right so uh that that and is nobody who knows me listens to this show. Yeah. <laughs> and so that is the value of the podcast and, and i like the fact that you called that out specifically that's the thing you like about it uh because it's not that they bring a topic and say let's discuss this topic uh of uh, in depth it's that they talk to each other about their own experiences around a topic what do you know that that's uh, almost like geeks ranting it is exactly like that and and that's the attractiveness about it because we can all relate, you know. I'm I'm sure as a as a listener to a podcast, I love it when I feel like I'm a part of the show, right? Because they're talking about stuff that I'm dealing with, or they're talking about stuff. Their reaction to something would be a normal reaction I would have had, and you feel like you've got some skin in the game. I'm I'm hoping that our listeners to this show feel the same way about this one. 
Yeah, uh, and yeah, we might not all be technical heads, but man, that'd be boring, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, sometime back, I got an email from a fellow in Germany that asked if I was going to a particular conference, and I, and I wrote back, I have no idea what you're talking about. And his reply was so amazing. It was, yeah, I, I, I listen to you so much, and I feel like uh, we're friends together. I just assume you know all the same stuff I do. That's the greatest compliment ever, because that means that over the years, in his mind, we have built a relationship. He considers me a friend. If he knows about a conference, which happened to be in Germany, he just assumes I would know about it. That's, that's a huge compliment. And uh, that's what I strive for on this show. All right. Anyway, um, moving on to my list. Uh, My list is long, and this is partial. Uh, I do about 35 podcasts a week, um, 35 feeds. Some of them have multiple uh, episodes in a week. Uh, So uh, this is just a partial list of them. The mini PC show on the Podnuts Network, uh, it's all about, uh, they they call it uh, uh, Big Talk Little Machines. Uh, it's all about the Raspberry Pi and the Arduinos and things like that. And uh, that is the where the exciting stuff in tech is happening right now. And uh, they talk about it, uh, I started to say every week, they talk about it mostly kind of weekly. Um, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, uh, if you're lucky, you'll get three shows a year out of him. But they're going to be amazing audiobook length, six-hour shows about a topic. Um, uh, he is uh, he, He's quick to say he's not a historian. He's a fan of history. Um, and his stuff is just really great. He did one of the best, uh, I think it was, ended up being about 30 hours over uh, five or six episodes about the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. One of the best uh, treatments of that uh, topic I've ever heard. He also has an interesting uh, uh, money-making scheme in that if you listen to the feed, if you subscribe to it, you get it as it comes out, but X amount of time after the show comes out, he archives it, and you have to pay to get access to the archive. I think that's great. Uh, if you want to hear the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, you have to go pay for it. It's not much, uh, but I think that's a great way to do it. But if you subscribe, you get them all, and then, of course, you have your own copy, and you do whatever you want to with it. Uh, same guy, uh, Dan Carlin, uh, does a just a what he called – it's called Common Sense with Dan Carlin. Carlin. It's his current events uh, political – podcast he is um he's hard to pin down politically he's uh, he's too liberal to be a republican he's too conservative to be liberal and he's too uh uh sane to be a libertarian uh but uh he he makes sense common sense with dan carlin great one i I hesitate to even put this in there because i suspect anybody listening to this show already listens to the other show uh security now steve gibson one of the smartest people ever to walk the planet uh does a weekly two-hour podcast with leo laporte um and Leo is basically his uh, foil asking him questions, and it's just the Steve show. Great stuff. Uh, still untitled, The Adam Savage Project, Adam Savage of the Mythbusters. Um, and by the way, stop me at any point you want to make a quest- comment or ask a question. Um, this is Adam's life. Uh, you know him from the Mythbusters, uh, but he's also uh, doing all sorts of other stuff, and, and he may be recording uh, on the back of a bus, uh, he may be in the in the shop talking about he's a, he's a huge cosplayer. Maybe talking about the costume that he's building. Um, it's uh, uh, him and uh, a couple of usually two or three other people uh, who are hosts on the Tested Network. Uh, and I could not disagree with Adam more politically. It would not be possible for us to have uh, more differing opinions on anything political. And his podcast does get political. But he's very smart, and he defends his his arguments in in such a way that I have no choice but to respect him. Um, and he's entertaining. Uh, Brain stuff, a two to three minute podcast from howstuffworks.com. dot uh, com. They just pick a topic, they do a quick overview of it. It's it's a little bubble gum for the brain in between two hour podcasts. Uh, they may be talking about uh, uh, how. Uh, 
bees make honey, and they may be talking about uh, why how anesthesia works. And it'll just be a quick overview. It's not they're, you're not going to dive deep in anything in five minutes, uh, but it's a great little uh, podcast that I like. Making it with uh, Jimmy DeResta, Bob Claggett, and David Picciuto. Um It's a weekly. Uh, there, uh, they all are YouTube guys, uh, mostly woodworkers, um, and they didn't know each other outside of their. They were fans of each other, their of their YouTube channels, and somebody, some way down the line, a couple of years ago, said, "Hey, why don't you do a podcast?" So they get together and they they talk about making, about the making mentality, about uh, you know. Um, how to how to keep your shop organized how to not cut your thumb off on a circular saw uh just uh whatever it's 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 all about making um and i really enjoy it uh renewing your mind with rc sproul he is a uh um presbyterian i think is officially his uh um uh religious designation but he's also a staunch calvinist um and he's a teacher uh one of the smartest uh teachers you'll hear on the internet about a wide range of subjects uh and he does uh a show at least once a week uh sometimes more uh, and it may be excerpts of his sermons or it may be uh you know some teaching that he was done sometimes you hear him scrawling on a chalkboard uh again i don't always agree with him but he is uh so well uh, spoken and so articulate uh i just enjoy every episode every time um, hey can you hear me mark yes okay um yeah, I used to listen to him all the time. He actually has two different podcasts. There's the weekly one, and then there's this uh, Monday through Friday daily one. Um, and I'm like you. The first time I ever heard him was like during my sophomore year in college, and I didn't understand 95% of what he said, and I disagreed with 4% of the other stuff. But as I learned more, I realized what he was saying, and even when I do disagree with him, I still respect his opinion because – he is super intelligent. All right. Uh, next up, Myths and Legends podcast. I, fr- I didn't write down the, the host's name. I'm sorry. I can't give you credit for it. Uh, he tells stories you already know in a way that you don't uh, haven't heard them before. He's very um, uh, sarcastic, anachronistic. You know, he'll be talking about the story of Thor and Loki, and he will insert dialogue, dialogue like, dude, did you really just throw your hammer at me? Um, and so, so it's, a, it's a new, fresh take on uh, literally centuries or even millennia old stories. I really enjoy that. Uh, the Dave Ramsey Show, uh, he does three uh, episodes a day. Um, it's uh, it's an excerpt of his uh, three-hour radio show. Uh, it ends up being three 40-ish minute uh, podcasts that come out every day. Um, um, common sense. Uh, what, what does he say? The, the same advice your grandmother would give only we keep our teeth in. Um, it's just a uh, basic, uh, how not to be stupid with your money. Uh, grammar girl, quick and dirty tips for better writing. Just that Mignon Fogarty. Uh, it's a, it's a five to 10 minute podcast, uh, comes out weekly. Uh, and, uh, just about writing uh, following the AP style guide, following uh, how, when to use the Oxford comma, when not to, uh, if you enjoy writing, if you uh, aspire to be a better writing, you couldn't go wrong um, with this podcast. The Clark Howard podcast. Apparently Clark Howard is an, an institution here in Atlanta. And because I live here, I am required to listen to him. Uh, he does a, a, a weekly radio, uh, uh, excuse me, a daily radio show, and then produces the, the daily podcast, which is a, a, a paring down of that radio show. Um, I was having lunch with some uh, longtime Atlanta people. Somebody mentioned Clark Howard, and I said, who? And uh, I was shunned. 
uh, until I subscribed to the podcast. They, they refused to speak to me again. Uh, common sense, uh, money matters, uh, investing, uh, how not to, you know, uh, of, uh, get ripped off by the phone scammers. It's, it's, it's generally aimed at, uh, you know, grandmas. It's uh, not super uh, high-level stuff. And, and again, it's soundbite answers. But it's a good, solid, um, you know, investing. Uh, really, investing's not. It's one part of it. It's, it's uh, um, common sense principles for handling your money. Uh, Matt Walsh, The Blaze, um, an incendiary, uber-conservative, um, uh, religious uh, blogger-turned-podcaster. Um, I can't really say that, uh, his arguments are always sound and that he backs them up. And I certainly can't say that I always agree with him, but I'm always entertained by him. Um, he, uh, he makes his living by insulting people and by, um, calling liberals names. So that's what you get. He's the Howard Stern of, of the right wing religious, uh, people, but he's good at it. And so I enjoy listening to that podcast. It's weekly ish. Uh, cord killers, uh, the extension of what was once called frame rate on the, uh, twit network, Brian Brushwood and, um, the guy whose name just left my head. Um, wow. Sorry. Um, two guys talk about cord cutting. Um, and, uh, they also have another weekly show called uh, spoiler cast, uh, called it spoiling time where they talk about what they're watching and they spoil it. Uh, I enjoy both of those things. Uh, cord killers, um, Tom Merritt. And Brian Rushwood. There you go. And uh, last in my list, uh, Judge, John, Judge John Hodgman. You may not know the name John Hodgman, but you know John Hodgman. He was PC in the Mac versus PC con, uh, uh, commercials where Justin Long uh. was, was the Mac. Um, he does a fake internet Judge Judy type uh, people's court thing where people come on and he berates them for an hour and then meets out artificial, ridiculous justice. Um, and it's hilarious and fun and I enjoy every one of them, uh, just because he is such a weird guy, uh, and, and everybody's in on the gag, right? So they all agree to abide, to, uh, abide by his ridiculous decision. And so it may be a husband and wife saying, uh, one recently was there's a pump on our, uh, built into our kitchen sink. Uh, I want to put uh, hand soap in it. My wife wants to put dish soap in it, and we want you to rule on that. So this is not world-changing sort of stuff, but they got an hour out of that argument, and it was a hilarious hour. So Judge John Hodgman, and that is my list. Any questions, comments, or snide remarks? Well, I've just subscribed jo- to Brain Stuff. Sorry, All right. So, and I know John Hodgman from uh, the Daily Show. He used to be yes. one of the regular comedians there. He's brilliant. Yes. Uh, oh, that's good. And and like you said in your uh, um, uh, GP uh, podcast, completely deadpan. He takes himself completely seriously in a tongue-in-cheek way. Um, and, you know, like, for example, he, he has banned the use of the word moist. Just not only in his courtroom <laughs> ever. It's now illegal to use the word moist. Um, a hot dog is not a sandwich, and mayonnaise is the, uh, uh, the god of all um, garnishes. So just just things that you learn when you listen to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Oh, I'm listening to that now. <laughs> if I take anything from this, it's that. <laughs> and that was our goal. If you if you found one out of each of our things, guess what? You just got three new things. Uh, but maybe these don't apply to you. Maybe none of these are something you'd be interested in. But maybe your roommate, your cousin, your brother, your mom, your aunt, your uncle might be. And this is all about um, 
um, increasing the footprint of podcasts. Uh, Podcasts still have this um, bad name of, you know, two geeks in their, in their mother's basement uh, talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And yes, that's certainly out there. Um, and, you know, we're just a half a step above that. I'm in my attic. Um, but the, I think that there is quality entertainment and quality education to be had online, and there's still most of the world doesn't know about it. So try a podcast and encourage others to try a podcast. And It's gotten harder and harder unfortunately for people to get the concept of podcasts and uh, because it, it used to be this technical thing that you had to jump through hoops to get an aggregator installed in your device and then put in this fancy xml rss feed thing and then all of a sudden all these shows started to trickle down and that's i guess why itunes was ex- you know invented to try to take all that complexity out of things and nowadays people don't use itunes anywhere near as much so that podcasting has become like click the play button on that website and listen to this and they you know like SoundCloud or something like that and that's not really podcasting but it goes under that thing so i think there's still barriers to entry that are not as easy as they should be with this but um the content that's out there is so rich and so entertaining and worth doing whatever you have to do to get it on your whatever your playing device is and listen to it and, you know, become a part of it. It's so entertaining. But we're obviously preaching to the choir because you wouldn't be hearing us if you weren't already past that step, would you? <laughs> right. What I, I'm, I, I whined and the cast back app happened. I'm going to whine again. Um, podcast apps, all of them should be preloaded with feeds um and of course nobody who who downloads it is going to love all of those but at least a place to get started um and and the the trouble is it's a blank slate everywhere whatever you know if you've got uh, an iphone you've got the podcast app right there on your phone and you've got the uh the suggested and the the news and new and noteworthy and that sort of stuff but it's still an effort to go do it and and there is yet there's no it's not turning on the tv anymore uh or yet it's still not that easy uh, and in fact, you know, turning on the TV isn't that easy anymore. You got to uh, get the right input and make sure you load the Roku and whatever. So it's a, it's a, as we go into more and more of an a la carte world, it, it, the, the choice, the, the preloading becomes super important, but then it becomes a political thing too. How do you, why do you choose to preload some things and not others? Um, I would love to see, uh, again, my favorite podcast app Castback, have, um, a listener supported, uh, or submitted feed thing in there that just picks a random thing out of uh, an RSS feed that anybody who uses the app can tag it to go to. Um, and that would make it super easy. Just go to somebody and say, download this app on your phone, or here's a QR code, you know, take a picture of it, uh, and you will automatically have something that a community of people like already. Um, okay, sorry, right, if you're you listening, know, get on that. <laughs> it is growing because as of last year, it's up to 21% of Americans age 12 and over say they have listened to a podcast within the past month. So one in five teenage and adults Americans have listened to a podcast in the last month. Yeah. And that's, that's getting there. That's getting, that's yeah. getting better. Absolutely. So and, yay podcasts. And some percentage of those think that clicking a play icon on YouTube is a podcast. Um, huh. 
And that's not necessarily, I mean, Miles had one in there. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. saying that it isn't, but there's just so much more to it than that. Yeah. So go ye therefore and make disciples into uh, all the world. Pseudo, go tell people about podcasting. Um, I, I, I got tech and I got religious. Um, let's see. Seth, we have time for one news story. Pick your favorite. Okay. Brad caused one of the greatest blowups of internet recent history whenever he jumped on Facebook and asked Cracker Barrel, why did you fire my wife? Uh, so this is a story. I picked the link from mirror.co.uk. Um, and of course, you know, and of course, this is one of those sites where they ask you a question, but you can click anything. So anyway, and of course, you know, from law that they really can't respond openly as to why they fired someone, but there are so many memes and poor, I feel sorry for whoever the, um, uh, whatever social media director for Cracker Barrel is because anything Cracker Barrel would post about, Hey, come try our thing. And it was like, you know, who used to make this great Brad's wife. Why did you fire after 11 years on his birthday? And then they went back in time and there's memes and there's justice for Brad's wife. Not my Cracker Barrel. Brad's (laughs) wife. Life matters. (laughs) Hashtags. And you know, I, I feel sorry for Cracker Barrel because I mean, obviously this guy was something he shouldn't have posted. He just, and then it got picked up and it's just a meme storm and they're hilarious. But, um, anyway, so I just wanted to pick this there and, you know, like Chick-fil-A now hiring Brad's wife, uh, and, <laughs> you know, they posted a thing up there. So they are so there's so many funny things uh, about this. You can, if you search, you know, for Brad's wife, uh, you'll find all kinds of photos and references to this story everywhere. It's been picked up on like ABC news, the Washington post it's crossed over from social media to real life. It's become a thing. So, um, it's, and again, you know, they can't answer his question and say, we fired her because she was making out with the maitre d' on the frozen peas. You know, they, they can't say whatever it was. Um, so they're, they're in a no win situation. Um, but it, it was, it was funny and it's sad and it kind of shows that with all this, um, hacktivism and, you know, click, uh, click journalism and all this kind of junk. People think they're doing a service, but what they're doing is they're they're destroying an entire organization based off of what and we don't know why. Maybe she was stealing money. You know, maybe she was trying to cook with um salt instead of sugar and you know, and it was maybe maybe she was stealing food. We don't know. And Cracker Barrel cannot legally say they can't respond to him and say, ah, you know, she was getting old and we let her go. Or, you know, they can't respond because then they're liable for, you know, abusing someone's privacy. So anyway, it was just, it was funny and sad and it's everything that's wrong with the world and it's everything that's right with the internet all at the same time. (laughs) Poor Brad's wife. (laughs) Yeah, there's a here's a Twitter employee. Hi, welcome to Cracker Bear, everyone. Where's Brad's wife? <laughs> yeah, and if you go to Cracker Barrel's Facebook page and look at some of the the things, you know, like go back to some of their old posts, you know, uh, hey, this used to taste better when Brad's wife made it, um, stuff like that. And uh anyway, it's just funny and sad. 
I see. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't aware of this until you just brought it to my attention. But it has even made it to my Facebook feed, where I saw a news story that said uh, the Republicans uh, have agreed to pass uh, Trump's uh, health care legislation as long as Brad's wife gets a job. And I didn't know what it was, and now I do. It, 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 like I say, it's everything that's wrong with the world while at the same time being everything that's right with the internet. Um, you know, you both of those things happen, and it's just it's funny and, and sad at the same time. Uh, poor Brad. Um, well, poor Brad's wife, because yeah. I mean, 11 years fired on his birthday, you know, come on. <laughs> um, I had something to say to that, but I was, I forgot what it was. So Seth, tell us what happened this week in history. Okay. So back in October, wait, what? <laughs> I had to write the day. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Sorry. This is, I need to fix that. It's actually, it's I don't know May how I got 10, March 23rd. But, yeah. Uh, March the 23rd, 1928 computer pioneer, Gene Samet is born or however you pronounce your last name. I'm sorry. I only speak East Texan. Uh, Jean Samet, an early pioneer of computing is born in New York. She attended Mount Holyoke college famous because that's where Francis baby Hoffman was going in the fall. Um, and then the university of Illinois where she received her master in mathematics. She launched a teaching career, trained in math and moved into the computing industry in 1961. She developed the language format at IBM. The language was the first commonly used language for manipulating non-numeric algebraic expressions. She also wrote one of the classic histories of programming languages in her book, Programming Languages, History and Fundamentals. She was born this week in history and has of the recording of this show, she is still alive. So happy birthday, uh, Jean. And now back to you, Mark. Um, I don't know. Uh, all respect to, uh, to Jean. I think you kind of scrape at the bottom of the barrel on that one, Seth. Uh, she hey, wrote, a, it- wrote a book. Or wrote a language, I guess. No, that, the yeah. first lang- commonly used language to manipulate non-numeric algebraic expressions. Yeah. So not just a language. You know, something that's fairly commonplace now, she did it first. Okay. See, Mark, I bet you're regretting learning Python now. Yeah, I should have learned Formac. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm teasing, of course, but everything had to happen first. And in this uh, time period where women feel they are not getting the justice they deserve or the attention they deserve, this woman did it first. I'm assuming it's a woman. Jean could it, be Jean could be a man. No, she is. She okay. she is. All, she is the recipient of the Lovelace Award for Association for Women in Computing. Um, she's a fellow of the Computer History Museum, fellow of the Association of Computing Machinery, Computer Pioneer Award recipient at the IEEE Computer Society, and the NCWIT Pioneer Award, whatever that stands for. All right. Fun stuff. Now, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. Would you like to be included on this show? Here's how you can do it. Go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA, fill out the form there. That sends me an email that gets priority in my inbox. And uh, we'll uh, read your comments on the air, most likely. Or you can call 559-IAMOP. No, I'm not going to tell you what those numbers are. You'll have to find a phone with numbers on it to figure that out. Um, And leave us a voicemail, and uh, we will... Uh, probably play that on the show. We love to hear from you. Here's your your uh, marching orders for this episode. Send us your five favorite podcasts. Don't send me an export door of the 83 podcasts in your pod player. I don't want any OPML files. Send me a list of your five favorites with uh, a description and a link 
And we'll start including those regularly in the uh, mini rants section of the show so that we can continue this whole uh, spreading the word about podcasts. And Mark, where can the listeners get the lists of all of the ones that we spoke about from ours? So every week uh, when we do uh, release a podcast on my website at elementop.com, there's a, 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 a big play button for people who think that podcasting is go to this website and click play. And there is a list of links for that show. And these will all be on our website uh, as of next Wednesday morning. So you can go there and check it out. You can copy and paste it, send it to your friends. Now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity, thus making you look like a better, better hiring option? Okay, this one could do it. Um, I came across this last week, but uh, I <laughs> saved it for this week. This is Brondo.com, the thirst mutilator. It's got what plants crave. Um, so <laughs> this is a website that was created as a result of the movie Idiocracy. For a while, there was actually a Brondo drink that sadly is not made anymore. But you can find all kinds of stories. People have made Brondo commercials on YouTube. Some of them are a little off color and are outside of the typical uh, geek rant uh, listening parameters, but funny nonetheless. Um, you know, if you find you know middle school bathroom humor funny, and let's face it, most people do. Um, <laughs> they are in there, but there's Brondo events. Most of them are old. Uh, anyway, Brondo, it's got what plants crave. I like money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what sort of shade of green it was in. So <laughs> Man, that's funny. Uh and if, if you've not seen uh the movie um Idiocracy, I can't say I recommend it, but uh there are worst ways you could spend an hour and a half. It's you know, I mean, the picture of the future is un and you know, like I say, the when I saw it last week, it's the first time I saw it from the very beginning. And the explanation they put for it has to how society ended up that way can't argue is unfortunately <laughs> very, very plausible. Yeah. If if just watch the first like five minutes of the movie or five to ten minutes of the movie and and then you'll you'll go, oh my gosh, what would happen if that was actually the case? And then you see what happens. You get Brondo. It's what plants crave. It's one of those movies that's better uh, after. It's better talking about it after you've watched it than it is actually watching it. And it gets better Definitely. on subsequent viewings, like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The first first time you watch that movie, you're like, what is this? Then you get around uh, with a group of other people who've also seen the movie. And you realize the brilliance of the movie. And then you watch it again and again and again, and you pick out new things. So I, I suspect this is is like that, or Napoleon Dynamite, where uh, the first watching is the least enjoyable of it ever. Definitely. Uh, get, you know, and then you end up like owning... The first DVD I ever bought was the special edition of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where I got to see part of it in Lego. And that was that was worth every penny I paid. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's true, but it's Mike Judge, right? Yes. I mean, what what a better social commentary you could get than a Mike Judge movie? <laughs> uh, Mike Judge, uh, King of the Hill, Office Space. Uh, what else? Um, he wasn't South Park, right? No, that was, no. Beavis no. and Butthead was that Mike Judge? Uh, no, yeah, I think it was. Anyway, uh, anyway, that that enough about that. Uh, that's it. That's the whole show. Um, only an hour and 50 minutes by my, uh, we started recording a little late. We are just getting epically long and, um, uh, whatever. I'm okay with that. If you're okay with that, let me know. Internet. Are you okay with that? The internet is not okay with anything. 
I get that. Uh, Let me I, ask them, Mark, because they seem to take it better for me. <laughs> Guys, what do you think? Are our shows getting too long, or have we reached the sweet spot? And no, we can't employ Brad's wife. No. Um, I, I am looking for a producer, Brad's wife. Uh, <laughs> just let me know. I can't afford to pay you Cracker Barrel money. I mean, I'm not, I'm not rolling in the kind of Cracker Barrel dough, but uh, we might be able to make something happen. One of the funniest ones I saw was a picture of the draft. I'm not having this baby to tell me what happened to Brad's wife. Yes, yes. <laughs> What's funny? Uh, okay. Uh, thanks, everybody. See you later. That's it for this episode of The Geek Grant. Grant.